Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm smiling because instead of the amen, I kind of expected another cha-cha-cha, by the way, Kelly. Amen is probably more appropriate right there. As many of you know, I'm a bit of a history buff. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm going to win any trivia contests anyplace or anything. But I like reading about history, and I like reading about prominent people in history and the roles that they played um, in the development of our world. Uh, this man right here played a significant role in world history. This is our character for who dis this morning. I've heard his name a lot, probably not seen his statue before. No, it's not Bob Ross, the painter, no. So my daughter always guesses, Bob Ross, one of these days I'm going to do that. No, this is, uh, this is Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, so a fascinating um, figure from the halls of history. Um, he was an impressive leader, a very forward thinker. And while reading about his leadership skills uh, one time, I came across a story about a young soldier that was brought before Alexander the Great. I don't know if you can imagine that, but be brought in front of this incredible world leader. You're just a lowly footman. But what was happening is this man, this soldier, was literally getting out of line. And so if he would break ranks and kind of go do his own thing, and then figuratively speaking, he was getting out of line in other areas in his life. So he was brought before Alexander the Great. Alexander looked this soldier in the eye and he said, What's your name, soldier? And the soldier said, My name is Alexander. Alexander the Great said, That's my name. So you have two choices. You can either change your name or you can change your attitude and your actions. Now, I tell you that story because I think God has the right to bring us in front of him, into his office, so to speak, and look us in the eye and say, what's your name? And when we say, my name is Christian, he, say something, he might say something like, well, you either need to change your name or you need to change your attitude and your actions. Here's the deal. Once we accept Christ into our hearts, we talk about that a lot. Some people say, I don't talk about it enough. Some people say, okay, we get it. But if you haven't accepted Christ into your heart, come and talk to me after this service. I want to tell you a couple things. But once you bring Christ into your heart, once he dwells in your life, um, you forever bear his name. Uh, The word Christian, when we see it in the New Testament, the word Christian actually means little Christ or little Christs. It was first used as a derogatory term. We see it in the book of Acts, not as a derogatory term, but we see it first occur in the book of Acts 11.26. It says, uh, when he found him, we have that, Jennifer, eleven twenty six. When he found him, he brought, uh, that's Barnabas finding Paul, brought him back to Antioch. Um, both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching the crowd, large crowds of the people. So they're in Antioch. And then parenthetically it says, it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Again, the term Christian was first used by non-Christians as a derogatory term. They'd say things like, look at all the little Christ going around. And they would look at their actions and say, wow, they don't really look like the Christ that we've heard about, the Christ that they talk about, the things that they do. Now, God calls us to do many things in his word. And it's been our focus the past several weeks uh, for us to, res- uh, the, the response that we're supposed to have. That's what we've been focusing on, our response to God's calling, um, the way that he wants us to respond. What does he expect out of us? the way he wants us to. And there's some big expectations that God has for us. I think we understand that part anyway, but I'm not sure we understand our role, our responsibility um, in our walk with Christ. Now here's, one, here's a big one. I'm going to kind of stay around. Leanne read Ephesians for us. I'm going to stay on uh, Ephesians for most of the morning here. Ephesians 4.3 says this. 
It says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Today we have an enemy against that bond of peace, and he's been since the ages of old. He loves to create division, confusion among those who believe. Enough division, enough confusion so that we, he hopes, will abandon our calling, deny our identity, stop pursuing the mission that God has in store and in plan for us that we're going to talk about here in a second. The enemy wants to divide Jesus' followers, wants us to divide over petty ideas, sometimes petty differences, sometimes we call those doctrinal differences, sometimes we call those cultural differences. But he wants us to be uh, divided rather than unite and celebrate around the gospel of Christ is what we should be doing as believers, uniting and celebrating around the gospel of Christ. The enemy wants there to be a disconnect between what we believe and how we live. I'm going to say that again. The enemy wants there to be a disconnect between what we believe and how we live. See, the Christian life isn't just knowing the right things or just going through the motions or like I heard yesterday, um, just acting the part. No, we're not actors. What we believe should direct our actions. And what we do, how we act, how we live should affirm what we believe. I want you to take this quote home with you because this is, is it. If, we don't be, if what we believe doesn't make a difference in your life, then what's the difference what you believe? If what you believe doesn't make a difference in your life, a difference in your actions, a difference in your reactions, a difference in your attitude, then what's the difference what you believe? We can fill up on all kinds of stuff out of here, and if it's not making a difference in our lives, then it really doesn't matter. You might as well be reading the Gettysburg Address or something like that. Right thinking, Jesus says, leads to right behavior. The merging of our thoughts and actions are essential for, for a united church, capital C, church, together. Ephesians 4.3 says this. It says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Unity, I said this yesterday from the stage, I don't know if you were all there, but unity is a Greek word that means, it's talking about inside ideas and thoughts and actions. As opposed to the word uniform or uniformity, which just means we all look the same on the outside. Unity means we think alike. And from this spot, if the fireplace wasn't here, from this spot, I like to talk about like-minded believers. Well, why do we say that? Because we're supposed to have a unity, the unity of the Spirit. We've got a lot of differences, culturally especially, maybe not doctrinally, and that's what we believe and why we believe it, but culturally, we have a lot of differences of opinion, of ideas, and we let that dictate our relationship with the unity of faith. Jesus says it's just the opposite. We're supposed to take that unity of faith, that that faith that we have in Christ, and we're supposed to use that to direct our actions towards people we don't agree with, or maybe they might be in your own home or close in your own family. But Jesus says if we can't have that unity together, if we can think the same way. Now, we don't have to agree on everything. It doesn't mean agreeing on everything. But it means agreeing on this foundational idea, the gospel of Christ. And once we get that and we hold tight to that, it's going to change everything else on the other side. 
Alexander the Great and that soldier looked the same, had the same uniform on, but they had different ideas, they had different actions, they had different attitudes. So now Paul, in the book of Ephesians, gives us a command for all of this. Back to chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, he says, Then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That word worthy is our key word for today. It's, uh, it's a business term, a term you'd see in, in commerce. And it literally means to balance the scales. That's the title of the, of the message today, to balance the scales. Or literally to weigh the same as, to have equal value. For example, if you hired somebody to do some work for you, maybe uh, you're remodeling a kitchen or something. Call Travis, by the way. Remodeling a kitchen. And you pay for it, and then you're walking around this kitchen, you think, this person did this exquisite job. It was was worth it. And what do you mean by that? I mean that it was fair, that the scale's balanced. I paid for this, and I got this. I am happy with this deal. I am happy by that. The value you received was equal, equal to the money you invested in whatever was going on there. But the mental imagery that Paul is painting in our heads on purpose is that of a scales or a balance of scales. The key word here being balance. Like I said earlier, if you put your trust in Christ, specifically maybe, let's get to specifics. If we could somehow, if we had that balance, we could somehow place our salvation on this scale. Or the fact that God knew you before he laid the foundations of the earth. I could throw all these scriptures up here, but stay with me. Or the fact that you were adopted through Christ, or the, that you have a perfect future and a salvation is secured. If you could put all that over there somehow, on one side of the scale, and put your life, your actions, your attitudes on the other side, simple question, would it balance out? Because have you ever thought about it like this? I'm going to get real with you for a second here. God has has invested an amazing amount of effort, time, strength, power in you. God has invested in you. He has created you. He sent his son to save you. He gives you life, breath, and everything else. He's invested in incredible... He came down from his throne room in heaven. right? Do I need to go on about this, or can you agree that God has invested an incredible amount in you? My question, though, is, would God say it's worth it? Would God walk around that newly remodeled kitchen and say, yeah, it's worth it? I got back at least, maybe more, what I invested in this. So let's unpack that investment for a second that God has given us, that God has invested in you. I want you to think about that. I want you to start to live like that. I want you to start believing that. I want you to start understanding that God has invested in you. I don't think we ever think about it like that, but that's exactly what happened. So let's unpack that for a moment and see. Take a peek at verse 3 again. See how we're doing. Ephesians 4.3. This is the English Standard Version. I, I did the NIV a moment ago, but I want these words to jump out at us. It says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Be eager. That's the first thing. Eager is not a, this is not a great English translation, and there really isn't a great English word for this. It means to exert oneself. It has effort behind it. To exert oneself. Right? 
But not just exerting yourself wildly flailing around. No. Exert yourself with diligence, with carefulness, with patience, and with persistence. There's a lot going on in that word. To exert oneself, but carefully, with diligence. Excuse me, be diligent about it. Be careful. Be patient. That's maybe the toughest one. And be persistent until it's done. So eager about what? Okay, maintaining, to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Maintain means preserve, guard, the words that we would think of. Take care of. But here's another part that we might not think about in this verse. To keep it in the state in which we found it. So in other words, don't mess it up. It's already there. The unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace is already there. Now just maintain it. Don't spill the apple cart over. Keep it where it is and be eager to do it. Exert yourself with diligence, patience, carefulness, persistence to maintain, to keep it in the state that it was given to you. And it might not be um, this generation, might not be the last generation or the generation or generation before. We're talking about first century. We're talking about Christ here. The unity of faith, the bond of faith that he talked about, that he taught, that he gave us. Maintain that. Maybe it got handed to you in a mess. That's why we call ourselves, LCMC calls ourselves, a first century church in the 21st century. Why? Because we want that to maintain. We don't want this to maintain. We want that. And we're going to maintain that. We're going to bring that idea, 21st century. I hope that made sense. And then unity. Again, I'm just going to repeat myself a little bit today because if you were at the beach yesterday, you might have heard me say that. Uniformity. Not uniformity. This is unity. Inside. Not looking the same on the outside. To think the same way. To be like-minded. To agree. That's, I think, our biggest stumbling block as Christians. Unity. For some reason, we like to focus on the things that we disagree on. Mostly when we're talking with other denominations, we talk doctrinal stuff that you probably don't even understand to begin with. So why are we even going there with it? Paul gives us enough to sink our teeth into to say this is what we mean by unity. And this is a real thing and this is a real problem. Unity. When we were in Japan, like I, you know this, got to spend six glorious years in Japan. Now yes, the Air Force had me working in other places, but um, when my family and I were there, we, we were evangelists to, to Japanese people. Um, and it was pretty crazy how things went in And some of the questions that that Japanese people would ask us, uh, one of the questions that literally brought me to my knees was one Japanese lady asked me this. She said, said, why can't Christians get along? And, you know, I didn't know how to respond to that. I still don't. I couldn't argue with her. I couldn't say, oh, we really do agree on things. We just... No, because the impression she got and what she experienced and what she lived was all these Christians bickering with each other, saying things like, don't go to that church, you should go to our church. Don't go to that church because they do X, Y, or Z, or they don't do X, Y, but we have figured out here. But then she talks to people down the street from that church, and they say, well, don't go to that church because they do A, B, or C, or don't do. So her impression, her question to me, wasn't about... 
hey, talk to me about the vine. Talk to me about, uh, you know, Jesus coming out of the grave. She said, why can't Christians get along? What's, the, what's going on here? That's what Paul's talking about when we need to have the unity of the faith. Right? That's what he's talking about. Maintain that idea of the unity of faith and stop messing it up by just spewing things out of your own head and out of your own mind. It's probably a good moment to remind you that the word Christian means little Christ. We're supposed to be many versions of Jesus walking around. And maybe you think you're doing that, or representing that, or reflecting that. But I say again this morning, as I said a couple of weeks ago, um, if you're driving people away from God, there's no possible way you can consider yourself a mini-Jesus. I don't know if that's harsh or reality, but if you are driving people away from God, driving people away from Christ, there's no possible way you can consider yourself a mini-Jesus. And by extension... I'm not going to say it. Jesus drew people to himself and to God. That's what verse 3 says, that bond of peace in unity. You know, if you ever watch the game of football, I like football a lot. Can I get an amen to football? I like football. If you've ever watched or, or talked about how a football team functions or watched or listened to Vince Lombardi talk about it, this is, this is why the Packers of the 60s were the Packers of the 60s. He's talked about, Vince Lombardi talked about how every player is important on every play. Josh, can I get an amen to that? Every player is important on every play. He stressed over and over how important that was. We needed unity to succeed. And without that unity, without everybody thinking without the same way, without everybody being on the same page, without that we fail. It's the same with our walk with Christ. See, here's the problem we have. We like a big cup of ourselves. We like ourselves. We want to talk about and hear about. Our walk with Christ, listen to me now. Our walk with Christ isn't about ourselves. I didn't see anybody's mind below. Your walk with Christ is not about you. You're accepting salvation from Christ. That's all about you. Now your walk with Christ is not about you. What do you think it's about? It's about him. It's about his mission. It's about carrying out Jesus' mission. That's what your walk is for. To be a mini Jesus walking around and carrying out his mission. And Jesus laid out his mission for us. Because now you might be thinking, well, what's Jesus' mission? He laid out his mission statement in like 15 different verses. My favorite is from Luke 19.10 when he's talking with Zacchaeus. He says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Is that what your walk is doing? Seeking and saving those who are lost? That's where the unity of faith needs to bring us That's what the unity of faith needs to accomplish. Unity and peace are the essential parts of reaching our full potential. That maturity in Christ is what we call it. Becoming like a mini-Jesus. It's easy. The easiest thing in the world to do is fight, argue, accuse, write an open letter, condemn someone. Anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. 
But in order for us to walk in unity and peace, we have to understand what we're here to do. What we're here to do in the way we're supposed to do it. What God says he wants from you is to balance the scales. I put all this on this side. I've invested all of this in you so that you can go out and make a difference in my kingdom with the unity of faith, with church, capital C, church. We have an important mission. We carry a valuable message to the world. Do you even understand that? We carry a valuable message to the world. It's going to take everyone in every church, capital C, working together in unity to bring in the harvest, as it were, for everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth, because that's God's mission statement. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4 says, This is good and pleases, and pleases God our Savior. That's like poetry to me. God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. What are we supposed to put on the other side of the scale? Helping to bring all people to the knowledge of the truth, not pushing people away from God. This is God's will for you to do. I ask you again, how well is his investment paying off? But as always, God doesn't just drop you off and say, go figure it out. Do it yourself. Like my friend, I ever told you about my friend Jamie Gilley? He was a vocalist of one of my bands. We're in Japan again, and uh, at one of the shopping malls, they had this enormous uh, children's play area. And you'd uh, give them, I don't know, some yen, whatever it was, and the kids could go play for a certain amount of time. And some lady, nice Japanese lady, was standing with a clipboard, and she would write down what time there you know, had to be done, had to come out. And then when your time was done, she'd come and get you and say, it's time to go home now. And you could just leave your kids pretty much right in there and use some things for the parents to do hanging around. Well, my friend Jamie, Jamie Gilly, he found one of these massage chairs, right, right next to there. And so the kids are in there playing in the playroom and everything. Jamie sits down in this massage chair, and he's like, oh. <laughs> well, while the chair is going, and it went a while, while this chair is going, his kid's time ran out. And the kid came over and he said, hey, Dad, our time's up. We need some more money. Well, I, maybe I should have told you this. Uh, so we lived on, on Yokota Air Base, and that was like little America. But as soon as you walked out of that air base and walked across the street, you were in Japan. Your dollars were no good. Most of the people in this smaller town, in smaller areas, don't speak English. So it's, you know, it's Japan. So that's where he is. So Jamie, in his massage chair, somehow manages to get a $20 bill, American $20 bill, and he hands it to his kid. And the kid takes it. He goes, Dad, she's not going to take this. This isn't going to work. And Jamie, his famous words were this, you better figure it out. <laughs> so the kid, I think what happened is the lady just had mercy on his family and said, you guys can just stay here until that chair runs out of time, and then you can come out. But Jamie, you better figure it out. You know, I thought, well, how's that kid supposed to figure any of this out? But Jesus, on the other hand, does not do that to us. Jesus will not close his eyes in the massage chair and hand us and say, you go figure it out. Jesus says, I am equipping you. I am training you. And you need to tap into that. You need to understand where your power comes from, where your authority comes from, where your comfort, your peace, all those things come from. I picked John 15 this morning, some of my favorite stuff, and we're going to talk about this later on in September, October. 
John 15, 5, NIV says this. Jesus says, I am the vine. Again, he's talking to one of his disciples. This is in response to a, a question that one of his disciples answered him, or asked him, I mean. I am the vine, you are the branches. And then this is a conditional if. Not, uh, the, sometimes if means since. You know, if it's raining, we're not going to have a pick. No, this is conditional. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. That's a promise. The command is to remain in him. The promise is you will bear much fruit. And then the warning comes after that. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. You will accomplish God's will. And you will balance the scales. But Jesus says you can't do it alone. So tag on to me. The verse before this makes, helps this make sense. It says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. This talks about unity. This talks about being in the church. This talks about being with like-minded believers along with Christ. We can, we can do things, right? But we can't accomplish God's will. We can't accomplish God's mission unless we remain in him. If we belong to Jesus, we are his branches. We are a mini version of him. So by extension, we're part of, again, the vineyard as he says it here. Again, back in verse 5, Jesus is declaring that he is the Messiah. I should have highlighted this for you. Jesus says, I am the vine. One of the terms that the Jewish people of the Old Testament used for the Messiah is that he was going to be the vine. He would be the vine. So here, right here, John 15, Jesus is declaring that he is the Messiah. And if you want to do God's will, then remain in him. And by extension, remain in the will of God. If we remain in him, we remain in the will of God. We'll be able to carry out God's will. Once again, I point out that your salvation, your salvation while you're stuck here on this earth is not about you. It's about God. Your walk on this earth is not about you. It's about accomplishing God's mission. It's about your actions. It's about your attitude, your walk, reflecting God's love. And Jesus says it right there. He says, if you don't believe me, try me. Tap into this. Because if you are eager, everything we talked about that word, if you're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, Ephesians 4.3, and carry out God's will for all people to come to the knowledge of the truth. If that's your goal, if that's what you're tapping into, if that's what you're trying to do, if you're eager to do those things, to accomplish God's will, that's when this next verse comes into play. Verse, 5, verse 7. Jesus says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, it's going to be done for you. Why is it going to be done for you? Because it's accomplishing God's will. It's accomplishing God's purpose. 
God has given you the ability, God has given you the power, God has given you the strength to balance those scales. He says, I've invested in this so that you can go do that. And when you remain in me, ask whatever you need to balance those scales, I'm going to give it to you. Our walk matters. Our words matter. Our attitudes matter. When we bring that out into the world, we don't get questions like, why can't Christians get along? Why do they argue so much? Why do they bicker and fight so much? No, they look at it the opposite way and say, wow, they got something going on there. Something they believe is making them different. I want to see what they believe because I want that difference in my life. Can I get a resounding amen? amen. Okay, please stand with me. And let's together confess what we believe in the words of the apostles.